Good morning. So who are we studying in these messages? Peter, good. Well, actually, we're part in a series, a larger series we've mentioned before, looking at different characters in the Old Testament. And it's good to remind ourselves occasionally what the purpose is of studying about different people. Why are we studying about them? It's nice to laugh at other people's problems. Well, you know, we were laughing at Peter perhaps, or we shouldn't have been, but uh, really today we'll see a transition of uh, Peter from uh, the disciple <coughs> that portrays, uh, if you would, our weaknesses into the disciple that portrays the power of God. And uh, as we, hopefully we're learning from uh, Peter's faults, we want to learn of, from his successes as well. Uh, we, we started the first message. was uh, I called it a disciple called. We looked at the calling, the Lord Jesus call, calling Peter to follow him. Uh, the second one, I called it a disciple out of step. It looked at Peter's difficulties in following the Lord and some of the, uh, some of the ways the Lord was, was leading him. Uh, Jake, did we get that turned off? And then last week we looked at what I called a disciple broken. And I, I tried to emphasize that being broken is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not that Peter was hurt in himself. It was his pride that was hurt. Peter's pride was broken. His self, we sometimes use the word self, was broken. His thinking highly of himself, that was broken. Remember through the experience where he denies the Lord. He, he thought he was great. He said, Lord, they all stumble, yet not I. And yet when the test came... Peter denies the Lord and uh, refuses to associate himself with the Lord. And, and Peter was broken over that. He really got to see himself for who he was. He wasn't this great uh, person he thought that he really was. So, so his pride, his esteem of himself, that was broken. And that was a good thing. We looked at the evidence of it last time. And really today we'll see the fruit of it. We'll see the fruit of it, the result, the benefits that uh, Peter reaped from being broken. And I thought maybe uh, we could actually turn to Peter's words to look at that. Peter recommends the same experience to us in his epistle. We'll start looking a little bit more at Peter's epistle this week and probably more next week. But in First Peter chapter 5, thank you, First Peter chapter 5, and starting in verse 5, he says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And, and the word that's used here is humble. I, I called it uh, the pride being broken. But really, it's being humbled. It's it's having a perception of yourself that is accurate. It really describes your true value, your true power. And that would be humbling ourselves below the false pride that often covers us. And he says here that God resists the pride. As long as he was proud, nothing good happened. We saw what happened to Peter last time. He was proud. He fell on his face. Uh, we often uh, try to use that, that verse in teaching our children, pride comes before the fall. Why? Because God is resisting you. He doesn't like pride. It's false. It, first of all, doesn't describe us 
as we truly are. And second of all, God hates it because he's not proud. But he gives grace to the humble, which means once you have a true perception of yourself, he can dispense of your grace to you. And uh, it's described further in the, in the next verse. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. It doesn't mean that he, he then gives you a false value, but by being associated with him, you'll see the wonderful things of God come true in your life. As we will see in Peter's life, really. Peter, uh, as being exalted, unfortunately, some people have taken it the wrong way, and they think that Peter was the rock upon which Christ built the church, and because of it, he has a special place, and Peter's heirs have a special authority over the remainder of the church. That's not in the Bible. But the reason people have that idea is because Peter was so instrumental in the early days of the church in seeing people saved and in building people up in their faith that people would easily have thought, boy, you know, Peter must be the rock that Jesus was talking about. No, Christ is the rock, but he used Peter in a mighty way. And the only way he could use Peter in that mighty way, the only way he could use us in a mighty way, as I'm sure we all would desire to be, is really by first being broken of that pride or being humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up, that he might use you, that his grace might be accessible to you. Okay, with that, let's go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. So we finished the Gospels, more or less, last time. What I mean is the Gospels description of Peter. And now we'll start looking at the Acts description of Peter. And we'll go ahead and start in verse 6. Chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, and verse 6. Actually, I'll start in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this was, if you would, the last time they would see Jesus on earth, They've seen him a number of times after he rose from the dead. He is now going to ascend, and there's a question that lies on their hearts. We don't know who asked it. The name of Peter isn't mentioned here, but uh, obviously he's in the same mind. You know, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What they're talking about is what we often think of of the second coming of Christ. We think of his earthly kingdom being set up on earth, and they're like, well, Jesus, you know, we've been following you. We've been listening to you. You know, we've been through you in the tough times, and... You know, now will you finally do it? Will you ascend the throne in Jerusalem? Start the millennial kingdom? Let us see the glory of God come to this world and, and all the blessings that will be associated with them. They, they will be blessed. Jesus said they will be rewarded for following him. Well, is it going to happen? You know, we're waiting, Lord. And he tells them, uh, no, that's not in the plans. Uh, you know, you'll get the power of the Holy Spirit. And really what I want you to be doing is to be uh, witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's repeating the Great Commission here. He's probably already told them this multiple times. He wants them now to go and to be his witnesses. Their job will be to share the gospel 
with, with, in Jerusalem, with people in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then Samaria, and really to the ends of the earth. Which, if you think about it, this is a monumental task. You have maybe a few hundred believers of the Lord Jesus clustered in a relatively small area, and Jesus is now speaking to them. I want you to go and, and share this message with the rest of the world. Pretty big job. You guys ready for that? Say the Lord Jesus came today. This would be it. Well, you know, maybe slightly under 100 people here. Right, it'll be your job to go to the rest of the world and tell everybody about me. It's not an easy life, the task that he's calling them to do. They would much rather enjoy his kingdom come now. Lord, you know, why don't you just bring heaven down? We know that's what you came to do. We want to enjoy all the good things that were promised. And he says, no, put those aside. I want you instead to go out into all the world and be my witness, which is a tough job. Now, Peter doesn't say anything here, and that's really to his credit. If you remember up to now, whenever the Lord Jesus shared something difficult about self-sacrifice, like the cross, Peter would start saying, not so, Lord, wait, this is not a good idea. You know, we really need to rethink this. There's a better thing that we should be doing. Well, Peter doesn't say that here, which really shows Peter is now going along with the plan. He's learned, instead of doing his will, to the will of his master. Remember, part of the, the job of, of breaking uh, an animal or a horse is really teaching the horse to trust its master instead of its own instincts. Peter's instincts, and really my instincts, are, Lord, I want the good times now. And really what Jesus is saying, no, you're going to have to wait. I want you to first go and share the gospel with everybody in the world. And Peter's now learned to trust the Lord. And um, if we don't understand, well, why was the Lord doing it? Why didn't he just bring the kingdom at that particular time, we can again turn to the word of Peter. Well, I'll just go ahead and read them to you. Uh, this is Peter, Second uh, Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when it, what Peter is saying that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He's really talking about the particular promise of bringing the kingdom. What he says, the reason he's not slack, he's not slow. It's not that he's not willing to bring the kingdom, but he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What this means, when the Lord Jesus comes in his power, the second coming is going to be the time of judgment. Whoever will be on the face of the earth at that time that has not received the gospel will be judged. So really, it was the mercy of God, the mercy of Christ, that he didn't usher the millennial kingdom as soon as he was crucified, because then just a few hundred people would have been saved. But instead, he's sending his disciples out to reach the world so that when he finally comes, many, many more people will be saved. And we should be thankful because we're included in that group. We wouldn't have been here, we wouldn't have been around to enjoy the kingdom if Jesus didn't put that on hold and said, okay, well, now it's the time to spread the gospel. It's time to go and tell people about me. And uh, I, think, I think in that light how poorly it reflects on my life when I try to build myself a comfortable life here on earth at this time. The comfortable time is coming. It is coming. But at this time, I should be focused on the gospel. People need to hear the gospel. And yes, that means self-sacrifice. It means I can't do the things that would naturally make me comfortable in this world because instead I should be going about the business of telling other people about Christ. That's what we were studying today in the Sunday school about the gospel, the value of the gospel. It's this invaluable cure that can save people. A person can, instead of having an, 
destiny and eternity in hell by simply believing the gospel message will have an eternity in heaven. The kingdom, the blessing of the kingdom will be there. All they need is to believe that message of the gospel. How much more important should I be spending my life at this time to tell other people instead of trying to make myself somehow comfortable in this world? Instead of waiting, we can wait. The kingdom is coming. At this time, we should be concerned with sharing the gospel, which is what Peter was doing. Not my will, but thine be done. That was the words of the Lord Jesus. In a sense, that's what Peter has learned to say. Not what I want to do, what you want me to do, Lord. Okay. Uh, Let's continue. In verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered... They went into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brother. What do we see here? Well, we see here the same person whom Jesus said to, if you remember last time, what Peter Could you not pray one hour? Well, we see this person is now continuing in prayer. What's the change? Well, the change is, if you remember, before Peter was trusting in himself. And so there's very little, if I think I can do things by my own powers, there's very little incentive to be praying. I'm just saying words. When I realize in myself I can't do the job God is asking me to do, I have a very strong incentive to be on my knees before him and pray. And that's really what we see him doing here. And uh, I was going to quote another verse from Acts 6.4, uh, if you remember, that's the story where they appoint deacons because there was just too much work that the apostles were involved with. And the apostles said, no, instead, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. If you can imagine just how important it was in the early days with thousands of people who haven't heard anything about Jesus. I mean, they've, they've been saved, but they don't really know all the things Jesus taught them. How important it was for the disciples to be teaching them about the things of Christ. Well, it was very important. Well, right next to it, they said prayer. You know, we want to continue in prayer and in the teaching. Um, Read it again. Not willing, um, sorry, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. He put them on equal value. Just as much as it's important for me to be here teaching you, it's important for me to be on my knees before God asking for the power to be able to help you guys. So, again, a new Peter, he's not trusting in himself anymore. He realized he can't do it. So instead, he's placing his trust in Christ, which is far better. Uh, Let's continue in verse 15. Again, we're in Acts chapter 1. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names was about 120. And he said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So, uh, before I continue here, Peter's been spending his morning reading the Word of God. He had, if you would, his devotional time. And he's, he found something that talks about Judas. And that's what he's sharing with them. This scripture had, had to be fulfilled what Judas did here. Okay, we'll go ahead and jump to verse 20. For it is written in the book of the Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate and let no one live in it. And let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us, 
all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness of his resurrection. So, so he, he sees these verses that we have in verse 20. It says, let his habitation be desolate and let no one live in it. And let another take his office. And he sees in the prophecy in the psalm, this is talking about Judas. Because earlier it was talking about Christ. Realize this is talking about Judas. And he's applying, look, there's just 11 of us now. There used to be 12. According to this verse, another should take his office. You know, out of these here that's really been for us the whole time, they've heard the teaching of Jesus too. You know, let's one of them take his place because this is what the scripture is saying. So, some people have a hard time with this passage, but it's pretty clear. Peter is reading the word of God, he's in the, in the word of God, he's appreciating it, and now he's applying it to his life. But the main point I want to, I want to, uh, see here is the fact, again, this is a change in Peter. If you remember when Peter went out to try to stop Jesus from being arrested, he tried to cut somebody's head off and, and got his ear instead. One of the things Jesus tells him is that how then will the scriptures be fulfilled? Because Jesus has been teaching him, look, all these things have to happen. And Peter wasn't following along. He didn't believe these things had to happen. Well, now he's changed. He's, he's finally been convinced, yes, everything that the scripture says has to happen. And he says that in, uh, I'll just read it from Second Peter uh, 1, 16 through 21. He's referring to his experiences with Christ. And he says, so we have the prophetic word confirmed. It was confirmed by what? By the, the facts he's seen fulfilled in Jesus' life. Which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Really, he's become convinced in the Word of God. He's become convinced that this thing is most solid on the floor on which he stands, which the Bible teaches is true, because the Bible says that everything in this world will be burned up. There's nothing in this world that's truly solid. It's being held together by the word and will of God. And one day God will do away with this world. He will never do away with his word. You you can trust this word more than you can trust your own senses because this is what God has said and it will come to pass. And that's really where Peter has come to be. And because of it, he's applying it to his life. He sees something in the word of God, he's applying it to his own life. I remember when I first came to Calvary Bible Chapel, I was, wasn't a believer at the time. I was just uh, kind of investigating, wanting to know what kind of people were here and what kind of things they believed. And there was an attractive lady that sat across the aisle that I was interested in. But what I was basically an atheist at the time. But when I went to Sunday school, I saw people studying this word, and well, that's okay. I've seen, you know, I had to study it in Israel. It was part of my history class. So, I mean, that wasn't that special. The difference was is people sitting in Sunday school, were talking about the passage, and they were applying it to their life. They said, oh, look what it says here. This is what I need to be doing. So I could tell they really believed in it. To them, this was real. To them, the God of this Bible was real. And that's what really started me seeking. Well, how do I know that they're wrong and I'm right? And that's what started me really seeking for God the first time. Is really seeing the simple faith that people had in this word, and you can tell that they have that faith because they're applying it to their life. 
And that's exactly what Peter is doing here. He's actually applying it to his life. You can see he has real faith in the word of God at this time. Let's continue. We're going to skip... uh, We're going to skip uh, some exciting passages here in chapter 2. Uh, just to quickly summarize it, we have uh, the Holy Spirit comes, which at that time the church is born. Uh, Peter stands up with the 11 in verse 14 and uh, preaches to uh, the people who are gathered because they hear, they hear people speaking in tongues because they were given the Holy Spirit, so a crowd gathers. Peter uses it as an opportunity to preach the gospel to them. And you'd be interested to know, half of Peter's message was literally quoting the Old Testament. This was a new Peter as far as being in the Word of God. He's now really able to quote the Word of God uh, to, to people. And that's what makes his message effective. He was preaching the Word of God uh, to them. And uh, the church grows. It says 3,000 people were saved. We see the growth of the church. Then in chapter 3, there's another opportunity. Uh, this time it's in the temple. Peter heals somebody. And uh, again, a crowd gathers. And Peter again preaches to them. and says this time 5,000 people get saved. So the church is now growing in leaps and bounds. Peter playing a central role here, but he's really simply preaching the gospel to them. It's not the power of Peter. It's the power of God. We were reading it today. It says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. So all that Peter is doing is he's preaching the gospel is sharing the message about Jesus and what Jesus did for us by paying for our sins on the cross and rising from the dead. And as people believe that message, they become saved. And so you have 3,000, now 5,000 saved. Well, that's too much for the, uh, the leaders. Uh, verse, uh, chapter, starting in chapter 4, verse 1. Now as he spoke to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands upon them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And then it says, however, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So that's the 5,000 they said were just saved. But the main thing, it's just gotten too much for the leaders. These guys are preaching Christ. They're preaching the resurrection, which is especially annoying to the Sadducees because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And, uh, and now they're arresting Peter. And they, really the question that would come to mind is how would Peter respond? Now he's, he's being in custody, he's going to be put on trial before these same people that more or less were the ones responsible for crucifying Jesus. Yes, they got the Romans to stamp the death sentence, but really it came from them. These are the people who were responsible for the death of Christ. And if you remember, we just think about next week, Peter was trying to follow Christ in his own power, and Christ wasn't even crucified yet, he was just being tried. And there's a servant girl, and she's saying, hey, weren't you one of his followers? And that's when Peter denies him. He was scared to be associated with Christ when it became clear he was going to suffer as a result of that. He was, Peter on himself wouldn't be able to handle this situation. Okay, I hope we could tell from last time. Peter is not going to be able to handle it. All right, uh, verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes as well as Annas the high priest, Capas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, 
If we this day are judged for a good deed done to the helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Pretty good response, wouldn't you say? <laughs> you don't see the same Peter here. And really, the key to the difference, uh, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit, which is true, which is good. And uh, we talked uh, earlier today in the Sunday School about being ashamed of the Gospel. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. And we confess plainly that, yes, often we are ashamed, meaning you know, we're afraid of what people will think of us. And sometimes that stops our lips from going ahead and declaring the gospel. We're just being honest with ourselves. That's the way that we are. It's the way that Peter was. Okay? Sometimes it's, it was nicer to associate with Peter when he was stumbling because we can relate better. When Peter is really doing well here, it's sometimes harder for us to relate. We don't often find it in our own experience doing things like this. But uh, we were given the same Holy Spirit. There's no difference in the Holy Spirit that Peter received and the Holy Spirit that we received. Now, it doesn't say he received the Holy Spirit. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, we've taught in the past being filled with the Holy Spirit is talking about really being yielded to his control. He's really just making himself available for God to use. The, the key here is he's trusting in God. Instead of trusting in Peter, that's the difference. Last week, he was trusting in Peter. I can do it. Lord, the old stumble, yet not I. I can stand there. Well, this time, he's a different Peter. He's no longer trusting in his own power. He's trusting in the power of God. Um, I was convicted on Tuesday in the prayer meeting. Uh, one of the ladies asked for a prayer for boldness for somebody that was coming, and she wanted to be able to witness to them. And uh, really, that's what we're missing. We forget that we just need to ask God for boldness. We have to rely on his power. I will not, never by my own power be able to really witness effectively for God. It has to be by his power. But really, all he's asking me to do is to ask. It says, you have not because you ask not. Again, the same power is available to us to preach the gospel. We need to do simply what they did. And this is what the apostles did after they were uh, beaten up a few verses later. Uh, it says this in Acts 4.29. It says, and now, Lord... Behold the threatenings and grant unto thy servant that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And, and, and Paul asks that when he's in prison. He says, pray for me that I might be able to, to preach the gospel with power effectively. Okay, we need God's help. We cannot do it on our own. But that just means we need to ask him. It doesn't mean we can't do it. It means the power is available to us. This is the, the promise he gave them. He said, you will receive power. And, and we have received power. And sometimes all that's missing is us asking. Lord, I know I have an opportunity coming up. Give me boldness to speak for you. All right, let's uh, turn to our last passage. It's a long one. Uh, Acts chapter 10. We're not going to read all of it. This is uh, what's often called the opening of the door to the Gentiles. It's interesting. We're almost halfway through the book of Acts. And so far, all the apostles done is they witnessed to the Jews. 
Okay, remember what Jesus said, start in Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. Well, so far, well, they've been kicked out of Jerusalem, persecution started, so they have spread a little bit into Samaria and Judea, but they've still only preached to the Jews. They haven't preached to the Gentiles yet. And uh, we'll see here, as we look at it, that there were real hurdles in the Jewish mentality as far as reaching the Gentiles. And therefore, God has to take a very active role, and uh, he's going to pick on Peter, because Peter is his man now. He's, he's learned to, to follow the Lord. And even Peter is going to struggle here, but God's able to bring Peter through to, uh, to see the light, so to speak. We'll, pick up, we'll start in verse 9. So we missed the section about the vision to uh, Cornelius, and he is sending some, some guys to invite Peter over to come and share the gospel with him. Cornelius, by the way, is a Gentile. Verse 9, the next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And so heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up to heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, Behold, the man who had been sent from Cornelius made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gates. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the man who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. What reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea, Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go into one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? And I'm going to skip some distance. Cornelius explains that God said he needed to hear words from Peter. And then Peter goes ahead and he preaches the gospel. And then in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking, These words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished 
as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that this should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they asked him to stay a few days. Then just uh, two verses into chapter 11. Now, the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained to them in order from the beginning. We'll stop there. So I hope you see there was some real difficulty hurdles the Jews had to get through. There's that vision uh, with the, uh, the non-kosher food coming down that uh, Peter is told to eat. And Peter says the famous, not so, Lord. Now, it wasn't really the main point of the passage for Peter to eat unkosher food. Really, the point was, and Peter gets it, he says, God has taught me I should not call any men common or unclean. That is, look, the Gentiles are good enough for the gospel too. We should, we should be thinking about them also. And, and just in case there was any doubt, Peter goes ahead and preaches the gospel to them. I don't know what Peter expected would happen. He sure didn't expect this. The Holy Spirit comes down upon those who heard and believed, and uh, they speak in tongues. And just for Peter and the Jews with him to see, boy, these guys received the Holy Spirit just like we have, meaning they're able to be saved. The gospel is for them too. We talked earlier today about the universality of the gospel. The gospel wasn't just for the Jews. It was also for the Gentiles. It was just as able to save the Gentiles as it did the Jews. In fact, the evidence was it was far more able to save the Gentiles because they didn't stumble as much over their own high opinion of themselves as the Jews were with, with their good works and trying to, to find self-righteousness. So really the main point here uh, is God needed to open Peter's mind. But Peter was, was open. You know, he had a hard time, but he, 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 he got the point, And God was able to use him to reach others too. What can we take from that? What lesson can we take from uh, this last uh, example. Does it mean we should also go to the Gentiles? Yes, we should also go to the Gentiles. But it, it, to me, it speaks to me about the close-mindedness we often tend to have about who to share the gospel with. I've been listening to uh, biography of uh, uh, William Carey. I don't know how many of you know about William Carey. He lived uh, maybe 200 years ago. Uh, he was uh, born in the 1700s. Uh, became a believer probably in the late 1700s, and uh, became convicted that God wanted him to go out as a missionary, or God wanted to reach the world with the gospel. Now, he was at the time uh, in the Baptist church in England, <coughs> and uh, they didn't, generally speaking, it wasn't just the Baptist church. It was generally true in, in the British world, in the church. The British Empire has gone out. They've started conquering other parts of the world, Africa and uh, Southeast Asia. And yet so far they've only felt the responsibility or the opportunity to share the gospel with other British people, uh, people that had some similar background. They were already raised in the church, well, true. Maybe they weren't saved, but they, they had some of the necessary tools that they understood they could use to share the gospel with them. But they couldn't imagine how to go out and reach, say, the Hindus in India. To them, well, you know, where would you start? You can't even speak their language. 
it's way too hot in India. Nobody wants to go to India. And uh, the Hindus, they have a completely different kind of thinking. Forget it. You know, this is, this is too difficult. And, and he, he was one of the few that was convicted about it, and they had a conference once, and uh, there was a, a chance for an open floor, and they said if anybody has anything to share or want us to talk about something, go ahead and share. And um, William Carey, a young believer at the time, basically felt that he should share the burden in his heart. We really should go and start telling the gospel to the, to the heathen, to the pagans, those who haven't heard anything about it. And uh, I guess one of the church leaders is, is famous for having said, young man, sit down. When God is pleased, when God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine. Basically, sit down, you know, this is, you know, if God wants to save people, he can do it. He doesn't need you or me to help him. Well, in the meantime, there were hundreds of millions of people in Southeast Asia dying without ever hearing the gospel. Just to show you really the closed-mindedness at the time that people had. And... Uh, William Carey is responded in what's known as the deathless sermon where he repeatedly used the phrase, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And what William Carey understood is that we have a great God that we're serving. And he's the one who gave us the great commission, say, go to the ends of the earth and preach the gospel. He's the one that will enable it. Just like in Peter's days, Peter preached the gospel and thousands of people were saved. It's the same God today. He can do the same thing today that he did at that time. That's what I mean by expect great things from God. And at the same time, that means attempt great things from God. If, the, if he was to stay in England, say, well, God, I know you can save the heathen, you know, so I'll pray for the heathen, he wouldn't really see, at least not in his own life. Maybe God would have raised somebody else and sent them to India. But in his own life, William K. would have not seen the glory of God. Well, instead, William K. went ahead. He, became the, he started the missionary society. As often happens, the guy who starts it is the first one to go and left the baton for somebody else to hold at home. And uh, he went to India, and he really started a, a great work of God. That was the, that's why he was known the father, the father of uh, modern-day missions. is because God used him effectively in India, and that encouraged other people, and they started going to other places in Southeast Asia and Africa. So really, God used him in this particular mighty way. And... Uh, the main, main thing that we need to remember is really something that Jesus said to the disciples. Uh, I didn't write down the verse, so we'll see how well I remember. When Jesus went and he, he shared the gospel with the Samaritans and other guy, the disciples came along, Jesus said, lift up your eyes to the field. They tell you they're already white for harvest. He was trying to get them to lift up and see that there were people that were ready to be saved and receive the gospel. That's something we need to do, too. We need to lift up our eyes and look around us. And uh, if I were to lift up my eyes, I, I was looking at uh, my daughter's uh, yearbook. Uh, she just gradu- graduated from kindergarten on Thursday, so you can congratulate her afterward. But she got a yearbook, and uh, you know, I looked at the pictures in the yearbook. She was the only uh, you know, white girl in that picture. And really, most of the people there were actually Indians, the same people that uh, William Carey had to cross an ocean, learn their language, suffer the heat of India, and, and many, many other things to be able to reach. You know, we live in a, in a city that has a, a very large number of Indians. I don't know. I think Charlie mentioned he went up to Mission Peak to pass out uh, tracts, maybe. How many Indians did you see up there? Yeah. 
really, there's some neighborhoods here where that's the majority, and we don't have to, it doesn't have to be Indians. There's, there's many other people that need the gospel. But we need to lift our eyes, not just think that it's people with all kinds of background we can reach out to. There's, there's people at different walks of life, and the gospel is just as effective to save all of them. We need to be looking out for those kinds of people. We have the same God today that Peter had. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the marvelous change you wrought in Peter's life. We can hardly recognize him, and yet we realize this is the change you want to accomplish in each and every one of us. Lord, help us, as William Carey went out, expecting great things from God, to expect to see great things of God done in our lives and go out and attempt them for him. But we pray these things in Jesus' name.